0: Mixtapes with Mike is now working in partnership with Black Circle Records, an independent record store based in Leighton Buzzard. No money is changing hands, but we will be working together on some promotions, so it would help us both out if you would take a second to follow Black Circle Records on Instagram or click the link in the show notes to check out their website. Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike. podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song and if you like the sound of what you hear you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. So if you're the kind of person who would like a new mixtape every Monday you should subscribe to the podcast and as always it would mean the world to me if you would leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on. Now this week is a first for mixtapes in the The guest is a dj whose primary focus is dance music a genre that i've dabbled with but i have never immersed myself in so up to a certain point i really do have to hand the reins over to him a little bit and become a passenger but i couldn't ask for a better candidate to walk me through this because he's a dj who's played some of the most prominent clubs around the world and not one to rest on his laurels whilst the world has been shut down he's created some online content focused on the origin of samples which is a really interesting premise for me so this week's guest is dj producer and now youtuber felix Leiter.
1: how you doing man i am excellent sir thank you for inviting me to do this this i am i've got gin i've got tonic i've got a red bull it's friday night and this is the pinnacle of my social calendar. <laughs> well, I will say, I,
0: I, 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 I'm hesitant to call you a diva, but, you, you know, you've made, you've made some stipulations for, for your episode. Um, you know, is, is it all right if we play the audio this way? You know, because I, I mean, for the benefit of the listener, I put the audio in after the conversation. Um, but, uh, you know, F- Felix, you know, requested, nay, demanded that we listen to the music. <laughs> you know, in between each little sort of uh, conversation. Uh, And he's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to get drinking. I'm going to pretend like I'm in the pub. And then, he's like, what are we going to drink? I was like, well, I usually have a cider. Oh, I love a cider. And then you
1: decided, for both of us, that we were drinking gin. I'm down with Diva. I think that's fair.
0: (laughs) Oh, dear. So, now we we've never met in person we we've been put in touch by a mutual acquaintance by the name of uh, dan nightingale who very recently appeared on the podcast um so, you know what it was a it's a weird one because i had met him in passing six or seven times you know we've shook hands as he, as he's introduced me on stage at a gig but and we chatted on on like text or like uh, on messenger a little bit but that's the first time we actually sat down and like talked and i followed dan for a long time like i'm i was a i'm a fan you know so like i was just like i've got to keep it cool don't don't fucking fanboy out don't you know (laughs) and it was cool and i've now fessed up to the fact so if you listen to this and he will do because it's you um but it was uh yeah it was an interesting chat But you have this other project. Well, so Dan is co-pilot for this other project that you do. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, Show Me The Sample is really an extension of everything that I do. I am a selfish only child. So I really just produce content. When I DJ, I play music that I love and want to hear. When When I produce records, I try and make records that I want to hear and I think I would like. Show Me The Sample is just an extension of that. I, for years as a producer, have loved going down the wormhole of samples, finding out where tracks came from, the origins, who was the writer, what did they sample, where did they get inspiration from? I've loved doing that. And I also love Dan's comedy. We've been friends for for many, many years. I've been to see him do loads of gigs. We talk a lot. So for me, it was a combination of that thing of going, I'd love to watch someone who told me about the samples that I wanted to know about but there was also funny and entertaining. So when I'd finished watching this 12, 14, 15-minute video, I know loads more about the songs that I've been playing and listening to, but I've also had a bit of a laugh along the way. Mm -hmm. So that's what I tried to create in Show Me The Sample. And I think we're getting there. Oh,
0: you're definitely getting there. because, I remember seeing the first video clip that Dan shared on Instagram. I was just like, what is this? What, what... Isn't he busy enough? Because because he has created this this sort of empire in the making, whilst you know whilst we've all been sort of grounded and sent to our rooms. Um, I mean, for the benefit of anyone listening who, who isn't aware, uh, have a word is a podcast where he sits down with a, another fellow comedian and they basically shoot the shit, make each other laugh, and they now have guests on. Episodes can be up to three hours long, but during the first lockdown, they they. basically were turning out an episode every weekday so they've they've built this insanely loyal following in a very short period of time and and it's now sustaining them sort of financially so that you know he's he's created this kind of behemoth of a sort of media project whilst comedy isn't happening and all of a sudden he's 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 on another thing (laughs) i thought what what is this um and then i watched the video i was just like i can't believe this has never been done before because, like, I've had that conversation about samples. Like, I've, I've got my favorite sample fact that I, I hit people with. So, back when I was a gigging musician and I was messing around with the loop pedal and stuff, I kind of accidentally became a bit of a hip-hop act, which is ridiculous. Um, but I did, a, a, like, a musical rendition of uh, Jump Around by House of Pain. So like I would put in a bass line, a bit of guitar, I would beatbox the beat, and the only thing I couldn't replicate was that squeal so I had to like find out what is that squeal because is it is it is it like a is it, a is it like a pitchy scratch of a record like what is it? Do you know what it is? no it's prince's voice
1: The true lord himself
0: it, It's prince's voice when he squeals at the very beginning of a track called
1: get off or get on well thank you very much a supersonic sample story is on its way due to you and i will give you a shout out sir thank you very much.
0: <laughs> thank you very much so so like i've i've had this conversation and and like and usually usually hip-hop would be something that would bring it up. it's like oh what is that because some because quite often that little funky loop or that that spanish guitar is like it the track that that's been Taken from is really good in its own right. So it, quite often you want to go back. um Ugly Duckling from California, is a sort of hip hop group that are very very funk based. And DJ Einstein, he always uses really funky samba loops and, and a lot of really good brass. So it's 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 often quite good to tap him up for where he got his samples because usually those records are really really good in their own right. So like I. I just couldn't believe it hadn't been done
1: before but it's beautifully done to be fair there is a lot of youtube content about hip-hop samples like i don't think i've ever seen anyone do it the same way that we do it i.e two people and a bit of back and forth banter there are people who do very well produced to camera with graphics you know dives mm-hmm. into, into samples there are a lot of videos that just mix one track into the sample so i'm certainly not claiming credit for you know coming up with the concept of of, of the of the sample deep dive on youtube i haven't seen anyone do it the way we do it
0: no because I you've made it have... entertainment
1: yeah and i also have n- don't know any channels that focus on the sort of music that 25 to 45 50 year old english european people would be into and what i mean by that is it's just we focus more on house music we focus more on dance music we focus more a little bit on indie whereas the stuff that's because hip-hop is so synonymous with samples a lot of people focus on on on, on that hip-hop um whereas for me it's just it's the story of the music of our lives and sometimes the sometimes the headline track in a way is the clickbait so for example something like jerry cinnamon disco land something like eric Prid's call on me something like avicii levels the headline track is the clickbait as we build more of an audience we're not huge yet but as we build more of an audience the more that i am happy to pick a, a, tr- a track where the The title track isn't of interest potentially to lots of people, but hopefully people have started to watch it enough to follow it back. For example, the episode that will have probably just been released when this comes out is Bad Boy Chiller Crew, Pablo. Now, a lot of people may not want to click on that. They may not think they're interested in Bad Boy Chiller Crew or that record. But what's phenomenal is it takes you back to Jean-Jacques Smoothie who is an Englishman living in Wales, pretending to be French, who had a huge hit around the time of 9-11 because radio stations were desperate for a feel-good record that they could program. So it became the most played record on UK radio for six years. That then takes you back to the original sample, which was Minnie Riperton. And Minnie Riperton's really interesting for all kinds of reasons, not only the fact that she was one of the first celebrities to go public with her breast cancer diagnosis, she worked for the American Cancer, society she was given a medal of honor at the White House by uh, I can't remember which which can't it might have been Jimmy Carter but and then ultimately really sadly died at the age of I think 37 or something. So the original you know if you see that that advertised you might go well I'm not really bothered about Bad Boy Chilla Crew. That's not the point of the episodes. The point of the episodes is the story that it tells again the new song Writer, Nightcrawlers Friday which is obviously built out of a Mufasa hype man social media clip and then Wrighton's jumped on the bandwagon and built it great you might think that track's awful and you might think the original's better But I bet most people didn't know that the original isn't the horny version that MK produced. The original version is a jazz disco hybrid, which Nightcrawlers deleted from their back catalogue and took over the, the MK remix as their single and reappointed themselves as a house music act. So the point of the episodes is the story and the journey. It's not just about the title of the episode that you might initially read, if that makes sense totally does
0: and <laughs> I think well you've definitely with people's appetites with that I think whenever you hear someone talk passionately about something and especially when you're talking about origins of, of things I think it's it's a it's a it's a really nice thread to put in front of people going go on come on come in I've got a really interesting story for you do you want to hear it so obviously music is a massive
1: part of your life I mean how long have you been DJing uh, 15, 20 years now. I mean, a, a good a good, probably 15 years professionally. And what I mean by professionally is, and I'm not splitting hairs here about anyone else, what I mean by me professionally is I have had no... It has been my livelihood for that long in the way that Dan's been a professional stand-up comedian. That's not to say you're not a professional anything if you get paid to do it on a weekend or a Thursday night and you also have another job. I've got all respect for what anyone does. But in my position... I realistically have supported myself, you know, through music one way or another, but mainly DJing for about 15 years. Uh, I became, always loved music, got a job in a nightclub under age 17 to collect glasses so I could watch what DJs were doing. Mm I was a terrible glass collector, turned 18, (laughs) it gets better, turned 18 so they put me behind the bar. And I was awful because I didn't really want to work behind the bar. I was just constantly going, if I was DJing now, I, what i play next is. And then the DJ would play it and I'd either go, oh, pretty good that actually. Or I'd go, awful. Um, the key to this nightclub, and we'll come back to this in my playlist. But the key to this nightclub was, you worked all week. On a Saturday night, the bar, it closed. The nightclub closed. Last orders was 2am. It closed at 230 Everyone was kicked out, and we cleaned the nightclub from top to bottom, put the bar back together and everything else. Probably took about an hour, an hour and a half. 4 a.m., they paid you in cash for the previous week and opened the bar. And then basically everyone gave all the money that they'd earned back to the nightclub and sat and got drunk. Um, So what happened quite quickly was that the guy that owned the nightclub, David Jackson, it was called Jackson's, they were the day's, he used to have his music collection behind in the DJ booth. It was just his music collection because basically he and a couple of close friends DJ'd. So we're talking sliding black cabinet with loads of CD singles. We're talking vinyl underneath. There was Denon double CD decks and there was um, turntables. So he used to put like a mix on or something. We'd be sitting down. We'd be drinking at 4 a.m. till three till seven or whatever. And one week, not too many, you know, not too long into me doing this. I just said, can I have a go on the decks, please? And he was like, yeah, yeah, sure, you know, just don't break anything. And I think this went on for two or three weeks, maybe four weeks, and one night got back from, I think I was in sixth form at this point or something, got home, there was a message on the answer machine from David Jackson, it was just like, David Jackson here, uh, can you just give me a call when you get this, please? So my mother would listen to the machine, she was like, what have you done? Like, what have you broken? <laughs> because that's that's how it works what have you broken what have you done if I've got to pay for anything you are in serious serious trouble so you know before mobile phones I had to ring him back with my mum sat on the stairs as I rang him back and he said yeah um I heard you You know you've been doing quite well on the decks after work the last few weeks Tonka that's Paul Thompson the other DJ Tonka can't make it on Tuesday can you warm up nine till 12 till I get there and I was just like uh yeah yeah no problem no problem um, and that was it that was the beginning of my DJ career I used to warm up from 9 to 11 or 12 then they used to put me back behind the bar again from 12 till 2 I was so awful that after a few weeks they just went look just stop working behind the bar and just DJ and that was it that was that was how I got into becoming a DJ <laughs> it's,
0: it's crazy how you can fall in to the thing that you're meant to be doing do you know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, it's, it is odd. Like, there's just the serendipity of uh, just happening upon this thing and then it just taking over.
1: I was infatuated. I mean, you know, I loved it. Like I say, I got a job as a glass collector so I could watch the DJ, you know, and then I, you know, begged to go on the decks after work and then just really styled it out from there. Um, I've always, I'm still infatuated with nightclubs. The last year has been, you know, not awful I mean it has been awful but I mean I don't I don't want to d- diminish the suffering of, of lots of people that you know have, have had a worse time than me but I am still infatuated with nightclubs I could spend all the time in the world I want to do like I want to do with Dan show me the nightclub a playlist on the channel and I want to go to different places and I want me and Dan to tour the nightclub through the day speak to a promoter speak to a DJ see it on the night time and put it together as an episode because I could tour the world Looking at nightclubs, I find the layout fascinating. I find the DJ booth laying out. Why why is the entrance there? Why is the bar there? Why is a DJ booth like that? What time do you open? What time do you close? What's the music style? What time do people come? What time do people leave? I love it all. Amazing. So obviously you curate playlists all the time.
0: On the fly virtually on any given night. So I'm interested to, to know how you approach
1: this. With an absolute headache um when you when you told when you invited me I was I was over the moon so you you said do you want to do this and I said yes of course I want to do this it's amazing then when I sat down to pick 10 songs I think I messaged you and just went I need a theme I can need I could make you a playlist a day for the next two months you, you know just on records that you played recently, records that you play. I mean, I've DJed that many nights, like that many long-standing nights that I've been residents at that I could have done 10 songs from Digital Mondays, 10 songs from Love Saturdays, 10 songs from Electrica. I could have done four mixtapes with my own productions, just you know, like my, old, my own failed music that no one cares about. Like I could literally, I could do indie ones, I could do different pubs, I could do, you know, everything. So I found it phenomenally difficult to narrow it down. And I had like 10 on the go at any one time that I was putting them into, kind of working it out. I also found it quite difficult because the premise of it being on Spotify eliminates so many records that I would probably play as a DJ because I play and produce so many edits and bootlegs and mashups and and stuff like that. And even, not even just edits and bootlegs and mashups, even just the fact that there's some old, even when I was doing this playlist, there was some old house tracks that just aren't on Spotify. You know, they're still on Beatport, they're still yeah. on YouTube. They're just not on Spotify. Yeah, it's something that's come up a couple of times just recently.
0: Um, I recorded an episode with a guy called Ed Lee that's coming out next month, and the first thing he picked was a mashup of "Juicy" by Boogie Smalls that he loves, but it's it's just not out there. So, you know, I'm you know we're gonna feature the. We're going to talk about it in the conversation in, in the episode. We'll just put the original version of Juicy on the actual mixtape, but we will sort of link to that YouTube mix because um, there's there's there's, well, there's a lot there's of one in mine. There's, yeah, there's one a in lot mine. of an amazing music out there that isn't legally procurable. So you know, you're talking about the Grey album by Jay Z. You know, that was on heavy rotation when in in, in my workplace when that first came out. Um, it's it is bonkers. the track I'm most
1: known for, like so. The track that I am probably most known for about through DJs throughout the world, like I'm not particularly well known, I'm not a particularly big deal outside of my little circles or, or whatever. But if you went to most house DJs in the world of a certain age, if they've been playing for about 10 years or so, and you said, or, or you played them and you said, if you heard this. I did a bootleg of Daft Punk one more time about 10 years ago and it has gone around the world 25,000 times played by everyone and anyone, cool DJs, party DJs, cheese DJs, still gets played now and that is an unofficial remix that you you can download it, you can find it on YouTube, whatever, but it is unofficial, it is not on YouTube and that is the piece of work that I'm probably most known for.
0: It is odd. Like you, you, you would think you would think the second any record company saw that something had traction and it was getting a lot of plays, they would just find a way to make it work because it just propagates the legacy of the original tune. But it's they,
1: they just they, they just don't seem to be motivated to do it. No. Um, so back to my playlist. I, in the end, decided to. You said I went back and read your messages, and it said. Imagine you're making a playlist for someone. Mm -hmm. And what I have done is basically an an ode, a love letter to the misspent youth of me and my childhood best friend, Matthew Tyson. It is about the clubs, the parties, the events that we went to and are created and a tiny fraction of the records that we experienced I remember and build a story around our misspent youth together.
0: So who's the first track by? It's
1: by Republica. And as soon as I hear those guitars, I am... I'm 16, I think, going to the Twisted Wheel in Carlisle. was a nightclub at the time I don't think I gave it any thought I've spent the last 15 years or so thinking so much about brands and music policies and DJs at the time it was just a venue that we could get into underage I don't think we particularly chose it for the music I don't think we particularly chose it for the decor or the ambiance (laughs) we could get in by wearing a shirt and trousers and shoes And it was kind of a goth rock punk night. It was an alternative night. It was on a Wednesday. Again, none of this information probably played any part in my mind at the time. But looking back, it was probably run by some guys who knew the people who had the club. And it was an alternative night. So it was Republica. It was Placebo. It was Ash. Um and this record just makes me go back, I can smell the smoke machine, I can smell the tabs because you could still smoke in nightclubs there, I can smell the sweat I can feel my my trainers or shoes sticking to the wooden floor that was covered in probably Carlsberg or whatever was one pound a bottle at the time and it's going back to, we probably don't do it enough as grown-ups anymore but Hugging people like other, you know, your friends, like arms round people's shoulders, fists in the air, singing lyrics, and that's where, that's where this Republic track takes me back to.
0: Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. My venue was again; it was like a like a rock alternative night that was a theatre in Rugeley. It was called the Red Rose. And it was the place we could go to drink underage, and it was the place we went to to meet sort of mosher chicks, sort of goth girls, and and they had a live music room, and then the sort of main bar foyer bit they would have DJs, and there was a there was enough separation and, and walls in the way that you know the the two didn't bleed into each other, and quite often you would have more fun in the DJ room because they were playing all the, the hits that you loved but th- that was all about it. it was sticky floors it was cigarettes it was pretty girls it was um, you know crowd surfing for the first time and uh, yeah like I've thought about that place just recently um, just because of some conversations that came up and, it, and it's weird how a, a, like a certain track just snaps you back and that's, that's something that happens quite a lot on this because a lot of people will pick tracks from points in their life Um, but yeah that's a that's a that's a visual that i can definitely relate to
1: they served chips it's just something that nightclubs don't do now and haven't done for a long time but there would be a little hatch and you could buy chips from the nightclub and i think you know i don't know the age range of people who genuinely listen to your your show but it's probably something that will boggle some people's minds now that there would be a hatch serving chips and hot dogs and, and, and burgers, really bad burgers. Um, and I have this I have this memory. I don't know if, if Matt will listen to this. And frankly, it doesn't matter. And you would probably deny it, or maybe it's a memory that I've concocted. But I have this memory of, you know, you talked about going to meet, meet girls. It would obviously often be full of a lot of girls that were in our school, you know what I mean, that you'd all go together. Which is also something that you you rapidly grow out of of being in a venue where you know 80% of the other people in the venue mm-hmm. because they're all in your, in your year group at school or, or in the year group above or below and you get past a certain point probably after university where then you go to venues and you know you can count on one or two hands the amount of people you might know in there alright if you go to a local pub mm-hmm. you might know more but you know a nightclub when you know 80% of the clientele by first name is just unheard of. I have this memory of, of Matthew kind of like this girl had I think been sick on herself or something like after some of these chips. But she wasn't bothered. She was totally fine. It was just part of the kind of, you know, underage rock thing. And then I just have this memory of like 10 minutes later, half an hour later, seeing Matthew kissing her. <laughs> just like, because it was just that... You know, what may horrify you as an adult was completely fine at 16. Like, just have another tequila, crack on. So, this is, and it takes me back so viscerally to the Twisted Wheel on Wednesday night in Carlisle. This is Ready to Go by Republica. It takes you-
0: All right, Bass Republica who are we listening to now?
1: I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave the Twisted Wheel because after the rock stuff came the crossover dance and the prodigy, a little bit more aggression, a little bit more energy, and we were still bouncing around the place, jumping into each other, fists in the air... still sticking to the floor as you jumped up, but the energy that changed between the guitars and the bass lines, between the live drums and the sequence drums, but it all worked so well in an alternative venue and in an alternative night, and the sheer energy coming from Fat of the Land, an album which still you know holds up today production-wise, sound-wise, incredible, incredible band The Prodigy I, as a dance DJ have played so much of their stuff whether it be the originals or whether it be bootlegs and edits, I love them as an outfit and I remember from Dan's episode they cross so many boundaries between rock dance breakbeat, alternative mainstream, they're a phenomenal entity.
0: Because you would get two or three genres in an album especially in Fat of the Land like when Fat of the Land probably came out what 96, 97 kind of time yeah and like at that point skateboarding was a massive part of my life and we would we, we would get on the train and we would go to Derby because it was, was they had this uh, indoor skate park called Derby Storm it was the you know the, the best indoor park for miles around for us but that album would just be on a loop in there and so like I just I, kind of like with your first track I can just I hear these songs and I get taken back to very specific points in time I get taken back to Derby Storm and I get taken back to a New Year's Eve a New Year's Eve party at my friend Mike's house who only lived like five doors up from me in the little village where I lived but you know bottles of hooch drinking underage and listening to to this track actually virtually on repeat and you could, I mean, this, this will be giving it away, but I just, you know, I, I, can, I can hear this sound effect in a Kung Fu movie, and I, I, I get a snap back to listening to the tune, and I hear that. And it's just an absolutely phenomenal record.
1: It's, it's bottled excitement for me. It's sitting in the pub, I think it was called The Sportsman's Arms, drinking a pint. And you are, you are at this one time so excited and so full of apprehension and excitement and exuberance about the night, but at the same time petrified that you won't get in, and that you're embarrassed, and that you're sent home, and that it's, you're the laughing stock of school the next day. And these are some of the emotions that we lose as an adult that sheer excitement of being in a nightclub however dark and dingy and sticky floored it is because getting in alone was a huge achievement and walking down the stairs any nightclub that you have to walk downstairs to get into whether it's before you pay or after you pay is a winner with me walk down the stairs darkness envelops you low ceilings moving bodies smoke machine flashing lights And this would be one of the songs that would be towards the end of the night. The energy was lifting. The sheer force of the DJ's will was being exerted on the crowd. And when you hear this intro, the the hairs on the back of my neck still stand up to this day. This is Breathe by the Prodigy.
0: moving on from the prodigy who's up next
1: so if the twisted wheel was the first venue that we went to because it was an alternative wednesday night we grew up into buskers buskers was the more mainstream central town club with carpeted floors lighter bars more expensive drinks and a more expensive entry price and probably we thought more choosy door staff but I think Matthew and I wanted to go because it was more dance music based Mm -hmm. and we and we thought at that point that we were you know getting into dance music and we liked dance music this is 100% my first memory of going to Buskers and standing against the wall in the queue waiting to get in. The door staff would walk down, up and down the queue, just eyeballing these nervous underage kids that we were. You had you could almost I think we were holding our fake IDs in our pockets, ready just to whip them out at the very second that we were questioned about our age, with fake dates of birth, memorised so we were sure we could get in. I didn't know what this record was at the time and I can the bass line and the kick drum were reverberating through the brick wall and the vocal was reverberating looping and looping and looping and I don't think we got in while this Tori Amos record was playing but it was everywhere at the time and I'm sure it was probably played later on in the night. Buskers was over two floors, the downstairs was potentially more kind of cheesy dance music, and we're gonna to touch on that next. Upstairs was probably the cooler, slightly more underground, potentially slightly more US-based stuff. Neil, I don't know his surname. Neil was a DJ and he was playing on 1210s. So he was playing on turntables. And I can just see him now behind the turntables. He'd have his earphone, so he'd have his, his shoulder to his ear, pushing one of the earphones into his ear. And he'd have a lit cigarette hanging out of his mouth while he was DJ while he was mixing. And the smoke would just be going into his eyes. And I didn't understand how he could do it because he was touching the turntable with one hand, making sure that the record was in time for the mix. He was touching the mixer with the other hand to make the mix happen. And looking back, he just looked like one of the coolest human beings I'd ever seen in my life.
0: It's weird. It's weird how cool a cigarette looks, even now. But when you think about what it is, it's the most retarded thing in the world. (laughs) I've
1: never been a smoker. I've never been a smoker. And if he was actually, there's something about the fact if he was stood outside actually smoking it with two fingers, I don't think I'd remember it as much. It was the fact that it was hanging and he was smoking it while he was doing something with his other two hands and he was prepared for the pain and suffering of his eyes to go through that smoke going into his eyes as he was DJing. And I was just... Fascinated with what was going on. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand why the things were turning. I didn't know what the needles were there for. I mean all this sounds silly now looking back on what I know, but at the time I had no idea as I peered over the wooden DJ booth that was built and looked at this. To be it could have been you could have been flight you could have told me he was flying a spaceship and I would have believed you. I had no comprehension of what he was doing, why he was doing it or how it was working. I just knew that I was insanely fascinated with it and the record that I was hearing that very first time stood outside against the wall with buskers waiting to get in was Tori Amos Professional Widow but more importantly it was the Armin van Helden remix.
0: So moving on from Tori Amos, who are we listening to now?
1: We're listening not to what I want us to listen to. We're listening to what is available on Spotify. We've moved from upstairs, from upstairs where Neil's playing the cooler, maybe more US house music. He's probably playing a lot of subliminal. He's probably playing some defected. He's probably playing that kind of stuff. We moved downstairs to what would be don't know maybe it's not cheesy maybe it's not that's the completely wrong word we just moved downstairs to what would have been a more commercial room so you might have been hearing jx you might have been hearing sonic you might have been hearing things like that and this record what my memory of downstairs was the dj booth was upraised in a corner of the room You had to go upstairs to get to it. And it was actually right by where they served the chips. So there was like the pot there was the hatch that served the chips. And there was some tables on this little sort of balcony that you could eat the chips. So the DJ booth was raised up and that's how you got into it. And the DJ booth was looking down onto a rectangle. And nightclubs don't really exist like this as much anymore. But in the middle of the floor was the dance floor. And around the dance floor was two or three little raised steps up and then railings that went round in a a rectangle. And what sort of happened was the girls, who were pretty and probably very well knew they were pretty, danced in in the dance floor. Some lads who, again, probably had a level of confidence, way exuding Matthew and I's confidence, would dance with the girls. Mm -hmm. And then basically what would happen is nearly every other lad would just stand around on the balcony (laughs) around the outside of the dance floor and look in. And the one record that would... Guarantee mine and Matthew's involvement on that dance floor was a bootleg, it was a mashup. So, what we're going to listen to is Paul Van Dyke for an angel, which on its own is a phenomenal record. But the record that we loved was Paul Van Dyke versus Rachel McFarlane for an angel versus lover, which is a mashup of, of two tracks, really. It's a mashup of the vocal from Rachel McFarlane and the instrumental from Paul Van Dyke. And as soon as that came on, there was just something about the sheer energy and speed of the trance music, which just drove us crazy. And everyone would scream and sing the vocal. It was a very girly vocal, so I think that attracted a lot of girls to the dance floor. And it just puts me back in buskers at the time. Paul Van Dyke, still an international headline touring DJ, all this time on Still Packs Out arenas and festivals today. I've seen him, sorry, him at Digital not too long ago. Probably still his biggest record for an angel. Um, but I implore you to enjoy this record for an angel by Paul Van Dyke. But I beg you to go and Google Paul Van Dyke versus Rachel McFarlane for an angel versus lover and come back with me to the sticky carpeted buskers in Carlisle of my underage youth raving to trance music.
0: Okay, so that's Paul Van Dyke, who's up next?
1: Next is we're moving along again in our misspent youth. This Basement Jack's record takes me to a failed restaurant which became a mecca of a bar and especially for house music. It's called Fat Fingers. It was in Carlisle. Like I say, it was supposed to be a restaurant. It was kind of taken. it It was buried away out of the city centre it was hidden by the cathedral I had a very narrow door we went down the stairs and it opened up a little bit into a sort of a very low ceiling brick building and this record just takes me back there it used to be I mean in times of Covid my mother would have an, a nightmare thinking about this but it was always rant it was always shoulder to shoulder it was a nightmare to fight to the bar the DJ booth was basically at the end of the bar, so you'd have all the people serving and then just the bar would stop, there'd be a couple of decks and a mixer and the DJ would be there. I did DJ there a little bit. I was still very in the early stages of me learning to DJ. I was still not particularly great, but I did learn. This Basement Jack's record it has an energy and a vibe which is such a feel good record and was probably telltale in a way of the time of the happiness Dan mentioned it in a way that that funky house genre which now we look back on and, and feel it's a bit cheesy but at the time very instrumental in, in the sound of the time probably the sort of late 90s early 2000s pianos Lush vocals, fantastic production from Basement Jacks.
0: Basement Jacks got an absolute pass from me. So, like, I mean, I mentioned it in Dan's episode. Like, So, like, mid-teens, I was kind of anti-dance music, unless it was The Prodigy. And then the closer you got to, like, the noughties and you would see the Basement Jacks videos and they were undeniably good. And then you would catch a live performance and realise oh they're a band this isn't like two guys with decks and a, and a laptop you know this is a band they're they vocalists there's live instrumentation and they are all giving it their absolute all and there's a sense of humour to this track there's, there's this cheekiness um, you know when it and a, and a bounciness that comes through in parts and it's you can't help but smile when you hear this.
1: Yeah, it, it, it also touches on a couple of things for me. As a DJ, a bygone era of visiting a record shop and getting a promo. So for anyone that doesn't know, records would be sent to DJs to break them. And what I mean by that is DJs would start playing them in clubs and bars, you would hear them when you were out and you were drunk, and then you would get they would feedback responses to the record labels and tell them if they were working or if they weren't working, if they were gonna keep playing them or if they weren't gonna keep playing them. That's one of the ways that record industry, record labels would know to put more money behind a certain release, to not put a release out, to get remixes done. And I would travel to Newcastle to fly in records, I would travel to Manchester to Piccadilly I would travel to Liverpool to 3B I'd go up to Glasgow to Precinct like and this is one of the records that I got on what would be referred to as a white label so it comes with no real artwork on it just a white label with it. it's written on it or it's stamped on it and you're getting that record before it's getting released and the idea mm. is that you play it and test if it works and then you you know and, and it's a way that they just used to, before the internet, well, not before the internet, but before the, the prevalence of the internet to spread music, mm-hmm. it was a way to do it. So it makes me think of that. It, it also makes me think of, uh, like, we. they used to just, they were just illegal lock-ins. They used to just literally shut the front door, close the wooden shutters, and because they were out of sight and out of mind of the city centre, the party used to just go on, and this energy that this track had kept creating that party and there's so many other amazing records that i could have picked in its place or alongside it on labels like defected or subliminal or ffrr which are just feel good vocal house records that make you want to dance they make you want to sing they make you want to you know hug your mate kiss a girl and this is do your thing by basement Jack. From Basement Jacks, who we we're listening to you now. If there is a record that defines Matthew and I's misspent youth, happiness to travel to find music and to see DJs that we liked, and then what was the springboard for our careers Matthew as a promoter, a long time very successful house music and nightclub promoter, and me as a DJ producer and whatever this record probably epitomises it all and before I go on to talk about this Everything But The Girl Soul Vision record which is a bootleg by the way but it it found its way onto onto Spotify which I was so happy about. I I searched for it and as I was typing I thought there's no way this is going to be here and I was so happy when it came because it so epitomises it but I do want to touch on this is how records are broken this is how people love music and the way that we're taken back to a certain place or time because we experience music together in the same way that you would probably know that a joke might not be funny if no one's in an empty comedy club to laugh at it Mm -hmm. a record doesn't create an emotional anchor point for people if you don't experience it in parts of your life, if you don't hear it on a sun-soaked terrace in Ibiza, if you don't hear it with 25 of your mates at Glastonbury, if you don't fall in love to it at an underage disco, then these records, you won't be listening to them when you're 45. You won't be talking to the next person who's doing a mixtape podcast in 25 years about it because they weren't created. And it's the frustration of the last 12 months. It's the frustration of The pandemic, for me, in my tiny little selfish way of music, is that records that have been released, some of them will work, some of them will catch on, but records, really big records, are generally broken in nightclubs, at concerts, on holidays, and people create emotional attachments to them. And that's what this Everything But The Girl and Soul Vision record did. Matthew and I would get The Last Train from Carlisle Train Station, to Euston so it would probably be a 6:30 or 7 30 pm train and it would arrive into Euston at about 11 pm and then we would probably get a taxi to Elephant and Castle which is where Ministry of Sound is it's in South London it's, it's over the river I've been lucky enough to DJ there a number of times in my career and it is in my top five places to play we wanted to see DJs like Paul Jackson like Jazzy M like Knee Deep and they were playing a night on a Saturday at, at Ministry of Sound called Rulin spelled L-U-L-I-N and it was a night that played a lot of US house garage and house music Ministry of Sound for anyone that's not been to the club is basically split into two rooms the box which is the main room the big dark cavernous main room which is mind-blowing to play in and amazing to DJ in, sorry and amazing to be a clubber in and the bar which is still a pretty big open room but it's a bit lighter and the music is a little bit lighter we were in the bar at around 7 in the morning, quarter past 7, Matthew and I and Paul Jackson played this record, I think as his last record, if not his last record, very close to the last record and Matthew and I certainly had a a moment to it together individually and with everyone else. And it lives on with me to this day. It It is an official bootleg mashup, I guess, which is the vocal from Wrong by Everything But The Girl. And Ben Watt, who is the producer in Everything But The Girl, mashed it together with a Soul Vision remix of Sandy Rivera's Come Into My Room. Tracy Thorne is the vocalist in Everything But The Girl. So what you are listening to is Tracy In My Room, the lazy dog, bootleg, vocal mix, Everything But The Girl, Soul Vision. Enjoy. Enjoy.
0: Very good at painting a mental picture, mate. It's good. It's good. It's going to make a good episode, I can tell. Okay, so moving on from everything but the girl, who are we listening to now?
1: We're still in ministry, but we went back. So that track, Tracy in my room, was definitively played on the first time that we went, and it was definitively one of the last records that we heard there. And we probably spent the whole next five hours getting home talking about that record, the DJs that had played, what the club was like, how it was laid out, why it was great, what we loved about it. One of the things that that Ministry did, it's got like a Dolby Atmos 5.0 system now, which is beyond my recognition, really. The last time I played there, there was a Dolby rep there who was talking to me about it but I was a little bit too far gone to fully understand it but I'd also sent in advance the intro that I wanted to play the first record and it had a big pan on it like it had a big thing that went from left to right and it basically was a vocal that was sort of saying that I was testing the system and then it built up and it built up and it did a frequency test then it kicked off and it goes bananas and I want to send it to the technician to make sure that it was panning to the right side because it said We are now testing the left set of speakers. And I wanted it to be the left set of speakers in the listeners' ears, not my ears. It would have been the other way around because we were looking at each other. And I remember there being quite a difficulty because he was like, it's a Dolby system. It doesn't work like that. It's surround sound. And I was like, but back then it was one of the first clubs that I went to that had all the speakers where they should be. So the subs were kind of in the floor then the mid-range speakers were at sort of ear level, and then the tops and the tweeters were flown, and they were around the top. Now I'm sure that wasn't particularly groundbreaking, but when you were a kid and you came from a small city that just had broken, poor PA, and you know, in the Twisted Wheel and and buskers, going to the box in Ministry of Sound where you had to walk through these sort of double snaking doors that had big yellow and black warning signs about the about the sound levels that you were about to experience was mind-blowing we wanted to book for our night so matthew and i decided to start our own night it was called lucid at the time and we wanted to book and bring the sort of djs to carlisle that we were seeing in london and other cities at the time And one DJ that we wanted to book was a Ministry of Sound resident DJ by the name of Jazzy M. I liked him so much I named one of my cats after him at a young age. And we decided, because we'd booked Paul Jackson, who was the, the DJ who played Tracy in my room, and he came and played for us in Carlisle, and we had a phenomenal time with him, very nice guy, we decided that we would try to exploit some of our contacts and we said to Paul, "Look, we're going to come to ministry. Can you put us on the guest list? We'd like to, we'd like to try and speak to, to Jazzy M because we'd like to book him. To us, that was like we were chancing our arm to some vast level that you know of, of sheer cheek. But he was obviously just like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem.' <laughs> I'll put you on the guest list. Um, I remember the, the the nerves of of walking up to the door at ministry and trying to tell them that we were on the guest list and. You know, we didn't. We t- I think we took our passports with us in case they wanted like to check. Do you know what I mean? Who we were, and obviously that we just went. Oh, we're on pause list. And they were like, all right, yeah, and you go. Um, and, you know, we were like, Whoa, that was that was that was crazy. And we got taken, you know, upstairs with the wristbands to go into the VIP room, and we got to, to speak to Jazzy, and we booked Jazzy M, and he came and played for us. And this is his, was his, probably still is his signature tune he's called jazzy m the track is called jazzy in the way you know this is the ministry mix and listen to it all because it's fantastic
0: So that's Jazzy M, who's up next.
1: So this is the next, and I guess for me, a very important step in our clubbing journey. We booked a young Liverpudlian DJ because one of our contacts and resident DJs, Kai Crichton, was friends with him. He was a resident at cream in liverpool which was a phenomenally famous club and brand and still is to this day at the time it was at nation and Yusef was a resident dj at cream he was very well known for playing in the annex which is kind of the side room off the courtyard where the likes of paul van dyke and seb fontaine would be playing he played in the annex and he was one of the first DJs that we managed to book because we were two clueless idiots from Carlisle, and it was only really the contact of Kyan that allowed us to book him. We didn't really know much about the industry, we didn't really know anyone else in the industry, we didn't really know how it worked or how much you should pay for people, or we didn't know anything. We literally knew nothing. And we put him on on a Friday night, and it worked. It was quite Quite popular because Kain had a lot of friends, and he brought them. and We were doing something different in the city, so it worked, and it worked quite well. And Yusef said, "and I'll I'll try my accent." He was like, "I'm playing, I'm playing fucking shindig tomorrow night, lads. Come over, come over, I'll sort you out." So we basically went to shindig in Newcastle, which is a bastion of northern clubbing, a infamous night that has existed in newcastle for a very long time it was at foundation at the time which is not, sadly no longer with us but it was at foundation at the time a nightclub which was a huge industrial um, dark space dj booth right in front of you at the back of the room above head height seven eight meters no, sorry seven eight feet up so they were you could see the dj from everywhere in the room it was so loud that you could almost hear the everything rattling, the pipes rattling on the walls, just solid concrete floors, solid roof, pitch black, flashing lights, really loud sound system. We went on the Saturday. I met a guy called Jim Maudsley, who turned out to be one of my really close friends, and still is, I'm friends with his son. We met Rob Cameron, who turned out to be one of my future employees, and so many other people. On one night, not that night, but on another visit to shindig we saw one of our favorite djs who to this day i still don't think we've ever managed to book we saw roger sanchez this record was about to be released but i don't think had been released i was then and i'm still now pretty much convinced that roger sanchez is one of the coolest humans ever to be alive we would go behind the decks he used to play on four or five turntables simultaneously he would put he would place and light joss sticks at the front of the DJ booth so it smelt quite nice and there was this little smoke coming up and he played this record no word of a lie five times in the space of probably a four-hour set it's got a really famous sample in it I'm sure we will do an episode on showing the sample about it and there's a very famous sound effect that sounds so phenomenal on a big sound system this is another chance by roger sanchez
0: Moving on from Roger Sanchez, who are we listening to now?
1: We are still in the thumping, pulsating, enveloping Shindig at Foundation in Newcastle because I think Matthew and I felt like we'd been given the keys to the city. We had been introduced to the key players of Shindig by Youssef, who was a respected DJ, who had told them that he played for us in Carlisle. We were phenomenally young, clueless children, but for some reason we were welcomed into this world by people who we thought and were very much our senior and very much more experienced and hugely successful. At this point, Shindig was a behemoth fifteen hundred people at least every week queuing to get into foundation to see the world's best DJs playing. Everyone from Roger Sanchez to Eric Murillo to Eric Prids to Steve Angelo to Dimitri from Paris, you name it, they had them deep dish. If you were into any form of electronic music, house, techno, this is where they were playing. And they were not they weren't it wasn't just that they were playing there it was the mecca for them to play in in the northeast of England what was what was the defining club of your of your youth sir
0: oh man so of my youth you're you're probably talking about the Carling Academy in Birmingham like the, 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 the old one that was just down from Scruffy Murphy's not the 0-2 one because the 0-2 one's terrible um, because that was a place you could go and see any kind of music. So the, you know, the the regular night was ramshackle, and it was predominantly that kind of indie kid and crossovers, but you would get quite a lot of the sort of dance nights that would be booked. You know, it, 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 was, it was a live music venue, so it, it, it catered for, for, for all sorts. And th- that is the that is the sticky floored venue of my early 20s so like I so I, I'd, I'd done the time at the Red Rose and you know would 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 regularly attend sort of like punk rock gigs and metal gigs and was only 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 just starting to get into hip-hop in sort of 17 18 year old and then you get into my 20s and I remember being taken there for the uh, first time by my then girlfriend we hadn't been together for very long and I just remember um, they were playing like a Rage Against the Machine track or something like that you know, a bit cliche really when you think about it now, but this mosh pit was starting to form and that that was what I did so I remember, I just handed my drink to my missus, like will you hold that for a second, and I literally ran and dove in and really got amongst it and then when the track ended, came back out and took my drink. I was like, oh, "Cheers!" And she was like, "Where the fuck did that come from?" So, um, so yeah, it was the Corlin Academy. Oh man, you've really painted a picture in my head there. Um, I saw so many bands there. Uh, I saw Nine Inch Nails there. I saw Queens of the Stone Age there. Um, I think I saw DJ Shadow there once, and just such. So- the heartbreak that occurred through the city of Birmingham when that closed. Y- y- you know, it's just like so many people just like, why? And, and, and a handful of promoters tried to keep it going under a slightly different name. And it just, they obviously didn't have the resources to make it work. But um, it's never been the same since. The uh, the Institute in Digbeth is now my favourite venue and it's one of those places that's got several floors that will, that can have different sort of music on in the same night. You know, they've got rooms that are, you know, if you go see a live band and the room is just small enough that, you know, no matter what, it feels full and there's atmosphere. Um, When, the, when they moved the academy, when the O2 kind of took it and they've taken it to the other side of Birmingham... It's just a horrible room, and there's terrible sight lines, there's pillars in the way, and it always takes forever to get a drink. I remi- uh, m- My missus took me to see Weezer there uh, a couple of years back, and we missed the whole support slot, just queuing for the first drink. And it put us in such a foul mood. So I was just like, I, I-, I will actively try and avoid that venue now. But, um, yeah... I think it, the reason...
1: Com- I think the reason I ask, I think the reason I ask is, I have this, I'm thinking about these places, you know, going back to, going back to the start, going back to to Breathe, going back to Republica, all the way through from the Everything But The Girl, and even now to Shindig. I have this thing as a DJ that, I've told other DJs time and time again, and I tell myself time and time again, it doesn't matter how you're feeling tonight, it doesn't matter if you're tired, it doesn't matter if this is your fourth Gig or on, on, on the trot, someone in there is having that night. Someone in this venue, this 1,000 people or these 1,500 people, are having that moment. They're having their first time, or they're having that moment with a friend, or they're falling in love, or they're, they've got their arms on each other's shoulders, screaming the name of the record that you're playing. And a lot of these records and these memories and these moments are things that I hope that I've created for people over the years in my DJ sets. And I hope that in 20 years' time, someone else is picking out these memories. And I hope that I've played a part in creating them for other people. Yeah, and it's so important that, that, that DJs remember that. It's so important that bands remember that. It's so important that people give it their all and make sure that you're creating those memories and those times for people and it's something that I've missed over the last year and I don't I was always very grateful for the DJ sets that I used to do and the thousands of people that I've DJed to but it became so apparent a year ago and throughout this last year how much I miss that connection how much I miss that creating memories together and that group feeling I try to do I don't know what your experiences of doing comedy are throughout the pandemic, but I realized that I tried to do DJ sets, you know, live streaming or recording them. And I realized that without looking up and seeing who was dancing and why they were dancing and what response to the records I got, I didn't know what to play and I didn't know why I was playing it. It felt pointless. Yeah, there's
0: there's a thing, that the audience is almost like the barometer for the room. It's like, right, you give me the feedback, I'll know where to point you next. Um, I I there's a DJ friend of mine that did this um months ago now by the name of Ramon Verbeet, guy from uh, Amsterdam, and he plays a lot of dark alternative stuff. Um a lot of genres you wouldn't expect to go together, but he, like, I, I met him at, at, through work and we would have these product launch parties at the end of a product launch week and he would be the guy, stood behind the decks in the wee small hours, pushing the party forwards. And and he's very much reading the room, dropping in these hard left turns that you wouldn't expect, but they would just turn the night on a dime. You know, that sort of like, oh, you know like i thought this was winding down now we're all up again and f- from a from a comedy perspective like i've gigged twice since last march so and it's so and and literally the, the last two gigs of of uh, of march 2020 were my first back to back paid gigs I got paid to close a small room, bit of a milestone and I got a paid middle, at another small independent gig. And I was like cool. All right, starting to come together because it's all little steps, little increments, you know, you know. And there's a lot of networking and getting in with people and impressing them here and then maybe you get booked for something else. So there was there was this feeling like things were starting to come together. And and then everything stopped. And I There was that brief moment in between lockdowns when things started opening up again, and I I did a gig at Hot Water in Liverpool, which turned out to be a like a a two-show night. So I got the first show to just find my feet, and then the second show actually felt like I had my rhythm. And then I got booked for one gig, but they made it sound like there was going to be an audience, and I wasn't quite sure how they'd managed it. And I turned up and it was just a studio and we there were going to be some people that were watching live online and we were all going to record our sets and it was going to be used as bonus footage for some sort of recording and the first time we went through our sets, the crew was keeping quiet and I found out afterwards that they were just going to like pipe in a laugh track which I was just like ugh, just made my skin crawl and we said, I'd like, oh, be really good because like, people were watching the thing in the green room and we were laughing at everyone's material in the green room. So it'd be great if you could just pipe that noise in so we could just hear that we're getting a reaction because we don't know that the jokes are actually landing. I was like, oh, right, do, do you, you want people? Like, yeah, we want people to laugh. So the sec- so when they did the second show that day, which was f- for the live stream, it was just like, yeah, oh, you know, we'll, we'll put some more of the crew in the room and we'll let the camera guy laugh and i actually sort of interacted with the camera guy a little bit and that made it feel a little bit more natural <clears throat> and i th- i think a lot of people dan included have been sort of nope not doing it early on in the sort of lockdowns but it but time's gone on so long that people's perspectives have shifted it's like oh, you know oh you know why not let's try it and um I've seen people be really proactive online and I've, and I've seen it work well to varying degrees, but I just couldn't quite bring myself to put myself out there for a digital. If I can't see you and if I can't hear you, it's, it, it's not legit for me.
1: Yeah, I just, exactly what you said, it's, Dan and I are going to do, because we've talked about it so much over the years, but Dan and I are going to do a, a Patreon episode where we basically compare our lives... As DJs and comedians, and how we work rooms, how we built our way through, you know, from nothing to becoming professional touring artists. Um, you know the differences between being a comedian, being a, a stand-up. The differences between having residencies and having tour gigs. We're going to do all that together, and it's 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 really interesting. And yeah, for me, I can understand exactly what you're saying and what Dan says. For me, I have become institutionalized to DJ for the people in front of me so give me a pair I've got loads of music I've got loads of my own music but never any music I'd DJ for days on end without running out of music it's not a problem and I, I would happily if you said to me now lift, restrictions are lifted here's a stage there will be a thousand people in front of you you know you can DJ for 24 hours I'd go no problem you don't need to pay me just stick some gin and some Red Bull behind there and I'll be fine I'll crack on but say to me do half an hour on these decks here to no one a little bit like this mixtape. I'm sort of saying, why I can play any kind of music. What's the point? Who am I? It doesn't seem to work for me, and I guess it's like telling jokes to an empty room. There's no purpose. What's, like, yeah, you what's know,
0: the you, point? You, you, you you said at the beginning of this, you were just you didn't know how to approach it because you didn't have a purpose, and it. it wasn't until we we started talking about it. And you said like, what if you? made it as if you were making it for someone and all of a sudden it came into focus for you like if there isn't someone to react to what you're doing there is no purpose so how do you if you don't have a if you don't have something to point yourself at there's no direction and that's why you can't get started
1: well that's a great link back into this track because this track marks a new direction we're in shindig Steve Angelo is playing, who went on to become part of the Swedish House Mafia. But at this point, well, actually, at this point, Eric Prydz was also part of the Swedish House Mafia. But he, he left and, it, and left it to Steve Angelo, Axwell and Sebastian Ingrosso. But at this point, their sound, their Swedish progressive house sound was in its infancy they were still seen as part of the cool underground cutting edge electronic dance music scene. Obviously, Eric Prids still very much is, and it's debatable who you speak to where the Swedish House Mafia guys sit. But Steve Angelo and Eric Prids teamed up on this record, a huge pounding, empty, sample laden with strings, again another viable candidate for a Show Me The Sample episode. What Steve Angelo and Eric Prids did here is what's very difficult to do in music production in my opinion, and I'll happily be interested in your opinion. They use very few elements to create an outstanding club record. What is very easy to do, and I am phenomenally guilty of this, is throwing elements into a track, piling sounds and instruments on top of each other, thinking that more is better. And in this case, the emptier it is, the more haunting the sound, the more space you give each instrument or each sample, the more it fills that empty concrete solid box of foundation in newcastle and shindig the night where this was playing turn it up close your eyes smell the smoke fluid this is was not was the club mix by eric prids and steve angelo
0: Okay, so following on from Eric Pridge and Steve Vangelo, we find ourselves at your final track. But before we get into that, if anyone wants to check out your show or your music, where's the best place to to look to, to find out more about you?
1: If you are interested in music, where it comes from, the histories and the stories behind some of the tracks that you may love or you at least may find interesting, search for Show Me The Sample. On YouTube you will find so many interesting stories from Oasis to Avicii from Jerry Cinnamon to Florence and the Machine and don't judge a book by its cover. Give it a go, click on any one of them and you will find a story that unravels that you will not expect. If you want to check out music that I have produced and that is all pretty much within the electronic scene It's all pretty much house music in varying degrees. It's all pretty much vocal based. Stick Felix Leiter into SoundCloud and you'll find my profile. Stick Felix Leiter into YouTube. You'll find all kinds of stuff. Or stick Felix Leiter into Spotify and you will find my official releases. I have lots of new music coming out soon. So follow me and... It'd be great if you could support me. Okay, so who's our last track by? Kings of Tomorrow. And I've been sneaky here, Mike. Because Kings of Tomorrow are Sandy Rivera. And Sandy Rivera is Soul Vision. So I've broken the rules. And I've slipped it clean under your nose. You didn't see it coming. But I've done it. Because dance music, unlike, maybe I don't know enough about hip-hop to give this a categorical broad stroke, but dance music is awash with aliases and pseudonyms and different things. I don't feel too guilty because Kings of Tomorrow is Sandy Rivera's sole project within himself. The track that I'm referencing before, Tracy In My Room, the Lazy Dog bootleg mix, is Sandy Rivera is Soul Vision and he's also Sandy Rivera. So so he remixed himself and then he was bootlegged by the producer of the vocal who used Tracy Thorne. So, that, so that's a really mushy one. He was utilized in a mashup in the previous version. This is just straight up Sandy Rivera. Kings of Tomorrow, this record, made me fall in love with house music. It is the single most important piece of music in my life. I'm not saying it's my favourite piece of music ever. I'm not saying it's the piece of music that would be played at my funeral, or the piece of music that I listen to the most, or even the piece of music that I play the most as a DJ but it had an effect on me and on my life and it changed the music focus and the direction of where I was going. Is there a pivotal song like this for you?
0: Ah, see, that's a tough one because I've gone through various stages. So the first music that was mine in my teens was rock music. And that's where I kind of found my tribe, you know. My, you know, that's that's where that's the first place where I got acceptance, you know. At school was being part of this little clique of people that were into like rock music. So, you know, you're talking British British rock bands like Television and Therapy, and then you you're talking about Nirvana onto the Foo Fighters, and then you know, as we get slightly older, you're getting into the sort of new metal scene where where you've got different movements within rock music and then through skateboarding you get exposed to more hip hop and all of a sudden your, your horizons are broadened and then when I hit 19 I start working in a snowboard shop with a, a good friend of mine who did an episode of a, a few weeks back uh, by the name of Mark Oldham who, who does this kind of alternative electronica uh, under the name Chairmaker he forced me to listen to to different music, um, the, the the one track that sticks in my mind that made me sit up and pay attention, moving from like predominantly rock music into hip hop, is "Running" by The Far Side. Uh, is it, it was it was on the first ever skate video that I ever saw, which was like a bootleg sort of VCR plug to VCR copy that a friend made for me, and. It was of a skateboarder by the name of Chris Markovich. And you you hear this, this Spanish guitar sample looping, a really soulful beat. And I had no idea who Jay Diller was back then, but like, I just, I I was obsessed with that song. Really mellow, male vocal sort of running through the chorus. Just a beautifully put together hip hop track, and that was that was a track that made me go, "Oh, what is that? I need more of that." So as a as a point in time, that that made me change direction. That's probably quite an important song. I've got important I've got important songs in loads of different genres, uh, and and they're quite often tied to to certain points in my life. Fink is another artist who the first time I heard, I was like. I need more of that. Who is this guy? Um, But yeah, so like Running by the Far Side is probably one of those tracks.
1: I agree. I could have picked various other records which mean vast amounts to me. But looking back from a position that I'm in now where dance music, house music, club culture, DJing, brands have meant so much to my life. This record by Kings of Tomorrow was pivotal. So many things you've just referenced cross over onto this. There's a repetitive bass line which just draws you in and I could almost feel like I could listen to it for 24 hours without getting tired. There's a, there's a vocal, a diva vocal, which, again, Julie McKnight, I think I could listen to it on repeat for 24 hours. I've heard it referenced that it is about meeting your maker and... But like all great music, I think, anyone can find within it their own meaning. And to me, it's, it's for sure about finally meeting the person that you fall in love with. And one of the lines from it like a thief in the night just resonates with me that you finally found the person you've been searching for and for me if you love house music this won't sound cliched if you are into rock or you're into another kind of genre you will probably want to vomit in your own hat you may well have stopped listening by this point if you don't like dance music but for me it encapsulates. The inclusivity of of house music, the global feeling of togetherness. This is a music genre which came from gay black people in North America who were oppressed and it has spread to the entire world and should be a music of release which we can enjoy together in dark corners that we normally call nightclubs where there are no boundaries there are no skin colors there are no race cultures creeds we all enjoy it together and we fall in love and we enjoy music now i'm fully aware that maybe people think the same for rock music and maybe people think the same for hip-hop and that is totally fine and i love that but this record encapsulates for me everything that house music that came from the warehouse that came from frankie knuckles and that's why it's called house music because it was played in the warehouse and it's been shortened down It encapsulates it all. We booked Sandy Rivera to play at our night in Carlisle called Lucid. I stood in the DJ booth in that club, Jackson's, where I blagged the owner to DJ after work when we'd got paid and spent all our money behind the bar again. I'd learnt to DJ. I'd warmed up for him. I became a resident DJ. Matthew and I set up our own first night called lucid we booked all kinds of djs that i'm really proud of but one moment that will never escape me is standing in the dj booth when sandy rivera who is kings of tomorrow played finally at our night in the first club that i ever dj'd in so this is finally by kings of tomorrow and i hope you enjoy it a tenth of as much that i love it
0: Felix, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Thank you for having me. It has been magical. And I hope that in a year or so, I can come back and do a different mixtape with a whole different theme and loads of different records because this is an amazing idea, an amazing concept, a brilliant podcast. Thank you for inviting me on sir. I hope I'm in a
0: So that concludes this week's episode. I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to Felix. We spoke for almost three hours before editing, and afterwards he was a little bit concerned that he dominated the conversation too much towards the end of the episode, but the fact is that the deeper we get into club culture, the fewer reference points I have to chime in with. I very much have to sit back and just enjoy the passion and the enthusiasm that he brings to the table. And I honestly think that comes across beautifully in this episode. And for that reason, I look forward to speaking to him again. I think it's inevitable that we'll do another episode, possibly with a different theme so we can keep him focused, but uh, I think it will be a lot of fun. And there will be links to show me the sample and all of his other endeavors in the show notes of the episode. Now, as always, we've kept the music discussed played below the conversation because I believe that all musicians should be paid for what they do. So if you want to listen to Felix's mixtape in full, you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. But for now, I'll see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike.